Exciting episode of the show for you folks today. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Austin Federer joining us, the head of strategy now. Yeah. At Solana, former, I don't even, what was your last title? It was uh, head of head of comms. Head of comms. So uh, for folks who are maybe un, uh, unfamiliar or unbaptized by everything Solana, Austin is sort of, he is like, the, the the glue that keeps much of the operation afloat. And he's also the reason why this conference was so great. So we're happy to have him talk about why uh, what's been going on with Solana recently. Obviously, most people have seen the price sort of explode and now we're down like 10, 11% today. But I want to start with sort of the competitive landscape. Why was the market caught? By surprise, with this rally, is it sort of too much uh, drinking of, of the haterade among other layer ones? Is it because Solana had the the shadow of FTX um, draped over it? Why do you think people were caught by surprise? Well, first, thanks for having of me. Of course. And I, as much as I appreciate the praise, I do need to give a shout out to the incredible events team and Ross and our creative and video department who really do make Breakpoint everything it is. Um, I just have opinions. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, the last week has been pretty incredible. We kicked off here with three days of community conferences before Breakpoint. Um, that was everything from MevDay and Box Zero, which is a validator-focused conference, to the network state with Bology, um, to, you know, Drip House and IBC Amsterdam and the Neodyme Security Day. And, you know, it feels really like the culmination of like a year of work that was really uh, just the folks building in the Solana ecosystem, you know, after the collapse of FTX, everyone sort of took like two or three weeks and looked around and be like, you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. Like, All right, well, let's go back to building. And that stuff just started shipping this year. Right. Like we really saw the arrival of DeFi 2.0, like real consumer facing applications built on Solana. Um, I think a lot of that stuff was quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're not like Twitter's algorithm is a lot worse than it used to be. It's harder to get actually objective analysis of what's been going on on a network. Um, and so, you know, people, this is why we throw Breakpoint every year. It's to get everyone in one location to sort of focus on all the innovation that's happened over the course of the year. But I think it's a lot of different components, right? There, yeah. there's some, there's some fear, there's some FUD that's gone that used to be there. Um, there's a lot of technical improvements that have happened, and you know, it's kind of like that slowly and then all at once. I think that's, I think that's pretty well said, and could probably be said of any ecosystem if you're not necessarily in it day in and day out you're going to miss a lot of stuff that gets developed and built out. This week has been super cool from my perspective because it has allowed me to kind of get deep into Solana. So, you know, checking out Jito, checking out uh, Jupiter, um, like really cool aggregator um, for swapping. And then they have their new perpetual swap 
function through, yeah. I think it's called Jupiter Labs or something like that. Um, and yeah, you know, I haven't, you know, for me kind of doing the podcast and not necessarily being a tech ecosystem layer one reporter kind of miss a lot of that stuff. Right. Um, yeah. So that's been cool to see what let's talk about like applications and projects. Um, so what type of new applications are finding a home on Solana? And, and do you think there are differences between the applications that are finding a home in this ecosystem and maybe other layer twos or layer ones? And, and obviously, you know, I'm sure this conference might inform the answer to that question. Yeah. So my core thesis has always been to focus on base layer technologies and as much as you can do to improve performance, throughput, scalability, all those things in the base layer, those are what create step function changes. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we, a lot of people don't think about this from a hardware perspective, but going from 2G cell phone connectivity to 3G cell phone connectivity changed the way people date forever, right? Mm -hmm. That built the mobile dating revolution. And I don't think anyone thought no, no one sitting at Qualcomm who was like writing the 3G packet spec was like, yes, this will change how my like son and daughter will date. Mm -hmm. Right. But like these things happen accidentally and they happen organically. Um, computers getting fast enough to put in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Everyone thought it was going to be, uh, oh, now I'm going to have Windows mobile. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you're not going to have Windows mobile. You're going to have purpose built mobile operating systems. Mm -hmm. And this whole transformation of technology, I think, is something you see again with Solana. It's a network that can do steady state, 10,000 transactions per second. It's a network that um, you can mint 100 million NFTs for about $2,000 on. These are incredibly disruptive pricing and performance models. And I have no idea what people are going to build with them. Mm. Right? That's the whole point, is to be as unopinionated as possible, as low down in the stack as possible. And that allows people to build drip right? Which is totally reinventing the way that people think about NFTs. It allows Jupiter aggregator you were talking about to have a trade for $10 that hits six different markets to get the best price you can get on chain for that particular asset swap. Um, that's only possible if transactions are fast, they're cheap, and they're abundant. And if all of those three things are not the case, you can't build Jupiter aggregator. If you can't do that, you can't build Drip House. You can't have 100 million NFTs minted, which the network just passed 100 million compressed NFTs minted on Solana. And that just launched this spring, right? The adoption rate on this stuff is really high. And everyone, you know, you talk to some people and they're like, well, doesn't that mean NFTs are worth less than they used to be because they're so cheap to make? And it's like, if that was your pricing model for NFTs, like I have bad news for you. Technology is always going to get cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like the thesis of Solana. And so to say, we've focused a lot at the foundation in funding, you know, the primary thing the Solana Foundation does is give grants, right? And we throw on breakpoint, but we also, most of what our efforts are doing is grant giving and, you know, technical coordination. And to like encourage people to squeeze as much performance as possible out of this stuff allows them to build things without ever talking to us. And that's like the coolest thing about Breakpoint is there's a ton of projects launching really awesome stuff here that we had no idea they were doing this, right? Until they're Is there any speak. category that maybe comes top to mind that has surprised you of folks building at that application layer? Like, oh, like, yeah. you know, what would be the, <laughs> the, the, 
the equivalent to the Qualcomm guy seeing Tinder today for you. Yeah, I, I think like payments are one of those, right? Like we built a bunch of work for Solana Pay a year and a half ago, and you know the stuff that's happened since then with everything from Mezzo to Sling to what Code Sling. has been doing. Right. Like the, these, all of these different types of payment applications are very different in how they approach things, but they've got several credible theses now of what is going to be blockchain's main payment system. How do we make this so user friendly? You don't even realize you're using blockchain. Um, for me, that's a huge, huge, massive success. Um, and those are things I didn't expect. Armada is another example of this and what Forge announced. Um, in terms of, you know, tools for token optimization. Those are things that the foundation is not aware of, that's not working on. This is just people in the ecosystem building really awesome code and projects because the network is performant enough and cheap enough that they can do that. Um, so for me, that's like the real holy grail is when there's cool stuff that no one knew was coming. Mm -hmm. Walk us through Sling and, and what's sort of been their latest developments and efforts. Yeah, so they they just announced here at Breakpoint, um, you can actually sign up now. I think they have an early access code they posted on their Twitter. But the whole idea of Sling is how do you build global peer-to-peer -peer payments mm -hmm. that don't require you to know a seed phrase and also can settle into your wallet. And so what they've built is a USD-based system where you can hold US dollar stable coins and they're going to add a bunch of other stable coins as it becomes available. Um, but you know, you can say, I want to take my US dollar stable coin and convert it to, let's say, INR or Singaporean dollars or Hong Kong dollars, mm -hmm. and then deposit it directly into a bank account. And so they they demoed on stage, you know, a 52 seconds to go from one bank account into another bank account via USDC converting to euros, depositing into another account. And you could see it because the push notification from the guy's bank popped up on screen, right? And and to move money that seamlessly and that quick all around the world, that's faster than Swift, that's faster than wire transfers, that's actually faster than most banks' internal ledgers update. Yeah. I'm gonna have to try this. I owe a friend from a Greece trip that we took, like a thousand pounds. Yeah. Okay. Let's also talk about. I, I'm keen to get an update as well on Fire Dancer and when release and why is it going to be a game changer? Yeah. So the first version of Fire Dancer is actually now live on Testnet. Anyone can download it and run it on Testnet. Um, that version is uh, actually what we're calling Franken Dancer. <laughs> Uh, so over time, the FireDancer team, and they're building a, a new independent validator client for the Solana blockchain. And independence is really key there, not just in terms of a new technical team, but it's also a uh, new code base. Mm -hmm. So it's built in C as opposed to being built in Rust, which you know increases um, resiliency over time to have multiple implementations. But FrankenDancer is a sort of a halfway product. So over time, they're going to rebuild the entire tech stack of Solana in C. This is just sort of major key components. About a third of it, is my understanding, has been rebuilt. Okay. Um, when it hits mainnet, who knows, right? It could take nine months to stabilize on testnet. It could take 18 months to stabilize on testnet. But the really cool part is you can actually go and download it and install it and run it on testnet and see it actually producing blocks on testnet and working. Uh, it's certainly not stable enough to run on mainnet or anything mm -hmm. like that. But, you know, this is a major step forward for that whole process. 
um, you know, the talks that Kevin Bowers and the other folks from Jump Trading Group gave on, you know, the optimizations they've been able to, to pull out of hardware is not actually just Solana specific. He had a whole talk on ED25519 acceleration, and they've got it twice as fast as anyone else in the industry, any computer science industry, to be clear. Um, and that work is open source. It's portable to other blockchains. And so, you know, there's a pretty major investment by the Solana Foundation to support the development of FireDancer. And that's going to be something that benefits all blockchain networks. So that's how it's a game changer. Yeah. So for Solana, we're, we're looking at anywhere from 10 to 100x performance increase. Interesting. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful. I mean, it makes me just think about the evolution of Solana, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know the exact timing or timeline, but if I were to just guess, Solana hasn't had a major outage in more than a year, something like that, or at least a year, right? We're coming up on it. Yeah. Um, it was uh, February. Do you guys have a, like, uh, you know, like in the movies, the days since, days since uh, an outage and then so you have totally updating it every day? We, we don't. Um, I think there's two reasons for that. One is like, it's not something we really fixate on. Yeah. I think reliability is a really important component to any blockchain system. Yeah. But reliability takes many forms, well, right? Well, just just real quick. So yeah. to double click on reliability, I'm so the question I guess is, do you, is this a solved problem? Or can it resurface when we see I mean I'm surprised not surprised, but it's 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 probably a good indication that this week there wasn't something because we're having, we have the run up of, of, of Sol. Um, but yeah, do you consider this a Sol problem or is it, is that? I'm not sure any, in the sky? I'm not sure any problem in, in software engineering is ever solved, sure. right? I think like you look at Ethereum and it's been live for what, seven years, six years at this point. And it ran into finality incidents earlier this year where they failed to finalize on two separate occasions. And that is, probably some of the most tested code in, you know, the blockchain world at this point. And so I think when we... I guess to rephrase it or reframe it, do you think the, the if you think about the technical efforts at Solana... Yeah. Um, reliability was a big issue a year ago. Is it, is it less of a focus now and, and solved to the point at which you can maybe focus on some of these other things like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think if you look at version 116, which just hit mainnet maybe a month and a half ago, um, that was the last major release that, you know, was internally described as a maintenance release. Now we added lots of really awesome new features. And I say we, the, the network community, Solana Foundation actually has uh, no engineers who work for it. <laughs> um, but well, that was the last sort of maintenance release. And there were lots of new features brought into that, but that was a whole series of software innovations and improvements over the last two years that have been designed to improve resiliency. And so local fee markets factor into that. Quick, which adds flow control to UDP packets, factored into that. Stakeway to QoS um, and a bunch of RPC optimizations. All of this, um, you know, sets the stage for 117. Mm -hmm. And 117 uh, is a, you know, we're probably looking somewhere end of Q1 for that release. That adds a bunch of different types of zero knowledge support to the runtime um, and a bunch of system calls. Uh, and then moving forward from there is runtime V2. 
and ABI v2. And these are uh, another series of really important changes that are probably rolling out in uh, a year, something like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for the core contributors and all the different teams working on this, it's, it's nice that they can actually start working full time on new features and new optimizations as opposed to sort of, um, you know, going back and, and upgrading systems that previously um, were not really at capacity. And that's also another kind of important thing here is that almost all the outages were not really system design problems. I would say apart from local fee markets, there haven't, and you know, quick uh, with flow control for UDP, everything else was just like just software breaking, Yeah. right? And when we say just software breaking, that's not a good thing, but that's far more, uh, it's better to have software break than to discover fundamental architectural design flaws. I think you saw a lot of like Thinkfluencers tweeting 18 months ago that Solana's architecture was somehow fundamentally flawed and they could never, you know, get this thing stable because of like original sins in the code base. And, you know, like most, uh, most radical statements on Twitter, it turns out to really not be substantively true. David Hoffman was here. <laughs> David Hoffman was here. No, but like, like, Justin Bonds was here. Yeah. Right? Um, Rune from Maker was here. The amount of attention for Solana and the Solana virtual machine from, like, you know, engineers, thinkers in the Ethereum community, uh, self-described alignment people, mm. um, is really high. And it's incredibly... You had some, there were some Ethereum en uh, engineers here, quite a few developers and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I love to see that, right? I, I think this is something where the most toxic part of blockchain is we have a leaderboard, mm -hmm. right? You go to CoinGecko and you see a list of who's in first, who's in second. And, you know, one of the things that Tolly has been really adamant on for years is that Ethereum does not need to fail for Solana to succeed any more than Bitcoin needed to fail for Ethereum to succeed. Mm -hmm. But there's a market cap chart Mm -hmm. So everyone's like, who's in first, who's in third, who's in seventh. And at so the end of the day, like at six now, six or seventh. But at the end of the day, like it's just horse race. What matters is it's open source technology and stuff that happens on Ethereum makes Solana better. And stuff that happens on Solana makes Ethereum better. Um, and that's that sort of, uh, you know, you compete. Sure, but at the end of the day, we're all building open source software. And that's the part that matters most is like that vision of how this stuff changes the world. And it's really like, it's honestly, I didn't expect it to happen this quickly that mm -hmm. folks from the Ethereum community and the Cosmos community and all these other areas would be looking at Solana and saying, hey, there's actually really interesting things happening here. And it doesn't mean that I don't love Ethereum still. It just what you, means. What do you think is the most unique, right? Because like something like Jupiter. Mm -hmm. has existed in Ethereum for a while. Something like Armada has existed in Ethereum for a while. Is there anything that you think is being built out in Solana that Ethereum that maybe doesn't exist in Ethereum, or at least in the same way, that Ethereum people are like, oh, okay, I want to build the Ethereum version of that Solana thing? Yeah. So, you know, Jupiter hasn't really existed on Ethereum. There really aren't that many order routing systems that hit multiple... Um, contracts on Ethereum because the costs are very high. If you're trading $10 million, sure. But, you know, for, for consumer-focused trading, not really. Um, account abstraction was something that Solana's had since day one and sort of pioneered. Yeah. 
Um, I would say also programmable NFTs, mm -hmm. right? The NFT standard on Solana is very flexible and a lot of the folks in Ethereum have been now building new NFT standards that sort of replicate some of that functionality. Um, native staking is another thing. Ethereum yeah. has no native delegation support. It's just staking. And so, you know, protocols like Lido have done great work to sort of find some workarounds for that. Mm -hmm. But there's more discussion now about the importance of small stakers and to not force them into um, smart contract liquid staking solutions, but to have that be something built into the protocol level. Um, so there's things like that that you see. Uh, and it's great, right? I think mm -hmm. it's really important for folks to be able to learn from each other. What about, um, let's, let's maybe talk about Solana's uh, economic model in terms of transaction fees and validator incentives. How do you think those economics or the underpinning economics compare to Ethereum? Um, topic of comparison fast. Yeah, so at its core, I think a thesis of the Solana, I think so, yeah, yep, yep. great. At its core, I think a thesis of the Solana community is that um, scalability is good mm -hmm. and that one layer is better than many layers, mm -hmm. right? And so, uh, you know, our efforts as the network have been to make Solana the world's most performant blockchain without resorting to sharding or adding multiple layers to the stack. And, you know, I think there's, there's some folks who sort of are like, well, someday Solana needs like L2s. And it's like, probably. Right. If we want to onboard a billion users and we want them all transacting every day on the network, like, hmm. yeah, there's probably some amount of layering that's required. But if each layer supports 400,000 transactions per second, you need fewer layers and fewer layers is a better user experience. It's fewer middlemen, right? It's fewer points of value extraction or upstream dependency trees. Um, and so that is sort of the core thesis and. The idea is that this is very much like the SaaS transition, right? I kind of hate these kind of analogies because it's like harkens back to an old technology model. But SaaS said, we're going to have much lower margins, but we're going to have much larger TAM. Mm -hmm. And that is something you're already seeing on Solana, right? You can't do a lot of the stuff you can do on Solana on layer twos or layer threes because they're still too expensive. Um, I, you know, my, my personal opinion is if you focus really hard on creating money, you end up creating something that's valuable at the expense of something being useful. Mm. And then eventually there's a flipping point that happens where um, the value is no longer, it's become so valuable and has not become useful enough that you have some sort of collapse there. And I don't think it's gonna happen in the Ethereum community, right? I think folks are gonna figure it out and eventually this focus on driving value at the expense of usability is going to um, switch back People joke that Solana is the poor man's coin. Yeah, um, I love that. Most of the world is poor. I was just going to say, there's far more poor people than than rich people. Yeah, I think at some point, like, this was started as a philosophical industry that had a whole series of values associated with it about how we wanted fewer middlemen involved in the system. We wanted fair financial instruments. We wanted banking the unbanked. Remember that? Yeah. Right. And somehow um, the money got in and we lost sight of that. And I think you can do both. Right. I think you, you look at companies like Facebook and Google and Apple and 
they changed the world and they made a lot of money and they created something very valuable and they also greatly increased access to information and communications and you know knowledge bases all around the world and and so i think you can do both at the same time i think you can build a network that is able to support hundreds of millions of users um, and also is economically sustainable fair enough maybe we'll go back to the market top of the conversation um selling pressure from ftx alameda is it from the trustees rather priced in you tell me <laughs> i know right <laughs> like i have no idea how to even begin answering that question yeah um you know hey, uh, you might not even be legally allowed to <laughs> i'm sure i'm not but like you know solana is somewhere between 10 to 100 times better network than it was in November of 2021. Wait, wait, run that by me again. Solana is anywhere between 10 to 100 times better as an ecosystem and, and a network than it was in November of 2021. Sure. So what do you what, what sort of underpins the the order of magnitude improvement? Uh, technological changes on the base layer, mm -hmm. right? The, the base layer code is so much more performant and efficient. Mm -hmm. The ecosystem is larger. The mm -hmm. products built on the network are much better. The developer quality is much higher. Like mm -hmm. the amount of progress that's been made in two years on the network is astonishing. The amount of people here was quite surprising to me. With 3,000 people in the depths of a bear market coming to Amsterdam. Yeah, in the rain. In the and rain cold. and cold. Do you, do you think that like, to what extent, I think it might be, I think it might actually be quite significant what I'm about to say. The recent rally, I mean, I wonder how much of it was people here who were like, okay, a lot of cool shit's happening. I'm doubling down and then going and buying more Solana. Like it could have been like, you know, we, we joke about these conference rallies, but I wonder the extent to which that phenomenon might've played out because typically they, they rally ahead of the conference. This one was interesting in, in so far as the rally happened during the conference an hour coming a bit off of it, but. I don't know. What, what do you think sparked the rally? I think people often look for one or two explanations yeah. for why something happens. And the truth is markets are as irrational as they are rational. Mm -hmm. They have a whole range of different inputs that are impossible to yeah. quantify. And, you know, if I knew what was behind it, I would probably be yeah, sailing would, on a 400 foot yacht yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. and a professional trader. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think I have any, but do you, have, you know, do you think that any of that resonates with like your conversations that you've had here? Like are people, um, well, actually, so there's like, actually been, I, I want to say the opposite. there's been very little price conversation. I actually like I'm running into people and they're saying hi and they're telling me what they're building and they're talking to me about the cool stuff they've seen at the conference no one no one really is focused on it and i think that's like core cultural testament to the solana ecosystem is like the market does what it's going to do but like it's a meme but like they are in it for the tech mm -hmm. they're in it for the product that you can build here and i think they're also like it's not like there's not side events and whatnot but it definitely feels a bit more um it might be a derivative of the weather but um <laughs> People aren't having those like crazy 2021, you know, parties, right? Like they're here to actually do work. Yeah. This kind of like mess around. No, I, I went to um, 
This okay. is what Dan and I were talking about yesterday. Yeah. Like at Hero Network. He was saying how it's like just everyone seems so, uh, like everyone's grown up or something, even though, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing like a bear market to flush out the tourists, mm-hmm. right? And the minute the tourists leave, everyone else is like, oh, you know, I actually would much rather go sit in a restaurant with 12 engineers and talk about like the future of compiler optimizations in you know, blockchain, then go stand on a yacht mm-hmm. and pretend to have fun, mm-hmm. you know? And like the tourists will always have fun doing that. But like every, every engineer I know, like they come to Breakpoint because this is a deeply technical conference and they get to meet other engineers and they get to sit down with them in a quiet room and talk about cool stuff that's building. And yes, Mango still throws a party, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, but, you know, fundamentally, the core of this conference is technical. Mm-hmm. And that is like one of the best things, in my opinion. Maybe we can close out with something a bit technical. Um, can we can we walk through the advantages of linear monolithic scaling versus modular solutions? Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess I would start with saying that this is an artificial distinction mm-hmm. that's largely been created as a marketing narrative. Okay. Um, Solana is not monolithic. Modular chains are also not modular. Mm-hmm. It's not as binary. It's it's nowhere near as binary. You talk to you talk to any actual developer and any actually enge- actual engineer. I mean, is Ethereum modular because there are six execution clients and six consensus clients, and you can mix and match all of them? Does that make that a modular chain? Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know what they mean when people talk about modular versus monolithic. Um, yeah. You know, Polygon runs on a Tendermint underpinning and an EVM execution layer on top of it. Is, is Polygon suddenly modular, right? Uh, is Bitcoin monolithic? I don't know. I, I think these are these are distinctions and debates that are as old as computer science. And... Um, when you mix non-technical analogies with, uh, token hype and Twitter, I think you get debates that are not intellectually honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's talking with Kevin Bowers, like to show my own podcast for a second. Absolutely. I was talking with Kevin Bowers, um, you know, earlier this year and about, you know, how different is working on, you know, engineering for like one system at a high frequency trading firm than building software for blockchains? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. Modern CPUs, in my definition, are distributed systems. There's 64 cores on a chip, and the speed of light through silicon is actually pretty slow. So when I'm actually programming and trying to squeeze as much optimization as possible out of a modern processor, I have to treat that modern processor, that one Intel machine that's maybe half an inch by half an inch on a, on a die on a chip mm-hmm. as a distributed system. And so when I'm actually talking about building something like Fire Dancer, fundamentally it's very similar in his gigabrain worldview sure. to, to programming on a modern Intel or AMD CPU. And if someone like that is viewing uh, an Intel processor as a distributed system, I'm not really sure what monolithic versus modular means. 
Uh, Rose by any other name can still smell sweet. Yeah. It's like just people trying to, like we as humans are so fundamentally driven to categorize things and then fit them into, fit things into those categories. It's just like, it's, it's part of our essence. And so that sometimes leads to yeah things being categorized. Nothing's ever going to be like, you know, without getting pedantic, like a hundred percent properly categorized. So it's like directionally correct, maybe, but to your point, not a hundred percent precise. I mean, it's not even 50% precise. Mm-hmm. That, that's the challenge. I, I think yeah. we've sort of gotten, this is not blockchain specific. I think the, the entire tech industry has sort of gotten VCified. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean by that, that there's too much money in the ecosystem. No, everyone's a VC now. With the same part. Yeah, ev- everyone's, everyone's talking like they're a thesis driven investment group now. Mm-hmm. But their thesis is like, a technology scaling solution, which is not a thesis, mm-hmm. right? Like technology can be a bet. Mm-hmm. It's usually not a thesis. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Anything that the audience might might want, what, what you would want the audience to take away from Solana in this year of our Lord, 2023? Yeah, so there's one thing I will plug, which is that all of the sessions at Breakpoint, they're all recorded. They're all up on YouTube. Um, they're really good this year. It's an incredible selection of developer talks, policy talks, legal talks, product announcements. Um, go check them out. Uh, Breakpoint 2024 is going to be in Singapore, September 19th to 21st, uh, right after Token 2049, Nice. right before F1. So, you know, in crypto math, it's free. Mm-hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks so much. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service.